Here's a message from today's episode sponsor. My name's Steve Mackey. I'm the owner pharmacist at Spruce Mountain Pharmacy in Jay. We're in the Western Mountains of Maine. We're about an hour and a half northwest of Portland. We're a hybrid pharmacy, so we're offering traditional retail pharmacy services plus compounding. We're using the computer RX software here to make us kind of unique in the market. We use the uh, RX Safe Rapid Pack script packaging program and hardware to make compliance packaging available for our patients who choose to have that as a service that we offer. When we brought the Rapid Pack pill packer into the system, we brought that in the same time we moved to the new building. And I remember seeing the machine roll in and I was over the moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pill packing machine is here. I am so excited for this. That pill packing system has been a growth point of my pharmacy. To learn more about how the RX Safe Rapid Pack system can help improve your pharmacy's efficiency and revenue, visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is a special episode helping to prepare community pharmacies to meet with their local and state legislators, helping our politicians to understand the value and work of independent community pharmacies is critical to the healthcare of millions of Americans. Thank you to RX Safe for sponsoring this episode. Pharmacy Podcast Network listeners, special interview today. The National Community Pharmacy Association has invested a tremendous amount of resources into our NCPA member support for Congress and legislators and your policymakers within your state to educate them because they don't know what they don't know. And we know as being insiders into the pharmacy and the business of pharmacy, how complex, how complex PBM um, acting and how that works and how pharmacists get paid and how we're moving from the prescription specifically to the value that pharmacists bring from a clinical perspective, digging down into those disease states and those conditions and um, being there for your your community as a, as a leader in healthcare and how your pharmacy is becoming a destination of healthcare. Your Congress people, your legislators sometimes don't understand what you even do. And I think the important thing is to get them involved in understanding how your pharmacy impacts the community. I couldn't be more excited because you know me, pharmacists are my most favorite providers. But on top of that, we have a pharmacy owner, Michelle Belcher, who is uh, owner of Grants Pass Pharmacy out in Grants Pass, Oregon with us today. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Todd. Happy to be here. So you are a champion at this. You have taken the the time, the resources for yourself. This isn't easy to do. This disrupts your business. This, you know, um, creates, you know, the meetings and the follow up in order to get um, our our legislators to your location to 
to see what you're doing um, to change and to enhance and to and to be that that conduit of health for your communities. Could you describe to our um, our listeners right out of the gate just a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your pharmacy and your community? It's going to set the stage for our conversation today. Great. Uh, I am a second generation pharmacist. Uh, my parents bought Grants Pass Pharmacy back in 1973. The pharmacy itself has been in the community since 1933, and we are the last independent in uh, Josephine County. So uh, it's been hard to see. We had three really strong independents that uh, myself included, which you know, was part of my growing up and to see those, uh, you know, individuals decide that they had to close their doors uh, and sell their files was something that was really traumatic for the community because patients depend on those relationships that are established, especially at independent community pharmacies. And so over the years, it's each time we see a closure, and most recently we had a regional chain in Oregon and Washington by Mart uh, that closed. And, and again, that really shook the community. And, and so the conversations that many times that we're having are, are you going to stay in business? And so it's been something that when the community sees a newspaper article about my efforts to try to make an impact on a national level, it makes them excited because they know I'm fighting to be here, to stay in business, to continue to provide the services that I believe my community, like so many of my colleagues, communities across the country, depend on. A uh, little tidbit also we have an old-fashioned soda fountain that's been here since 1933 and you know we we just strive to be able to keep it open it was closed yesterday to try to get some of the old 1930s refrigeration parts uh, uh fixed uh but it's something that brings such nostalgia and memories um for many generations so it's fun to see uh, you know, grandparents bring, bring their grandchildren and now even some great grandparents bring their great grandchildren to experience their first uh, soda phosphate at the at the counter. So. Mm -hmm. Michelle, it's very special that you provide the services that you do. Second generation pharmacy owner, part of that community. But what I think is more special that I want our listeners to realize is that you've built a true relationship with your senator, um, Senator Ron Wyden, where he expects you to be a source of, of information to him to, to, real, to make him understand and realize from metrics and data and the checklist that we're going to be talking about that here's how community pharmacy is impacting this specific community, which, by the way, is different all across the United States. There's some community pharmacies that are smaller. There's some that are bigger. There's some like you that are your only one, you know, around for, for miles and that it would be a, a standalone community pharmacy. So how did you build such um, a, a fluid relationship with your senator and getting, uh, gaining their attention and, and getting 
getting them to understand what's going to happen if you're not continuing to be part of your community? Well, I think that what we, we be my, my father and I, um, it was something that was very important to him to be a part of the solution, to try to make sure that the policymakers had the information that they needed to understand what pharmacists do. So he had been doing this for years before I joined him in 1993. And so from that point forward, for about six years, we made the trips to DC uh, together to be able to, uh, he showed me the ropes on, you know, talking with staff members and, uh, you know, many times that's those initial relationships. And with the Senator in particular, um, I didn't meet him for probably 10 years. And I wanna really stress to my colleagues that that for our our legislators, there's their their and so let me back up. Okay. I'd like to stress for my colleagues that the relationships with the legislators staff is just as important really as in building that groundwork as it is with the legislator themselves. The legislator depends on the knowledge that, that the staff can bring them on the issues that are pertinent. And so I would say it's it's a I've built those relationships with both the staff at the state level um, in DC and then with the legislator themselves. In the instance of, of Senator Wyden, I had, as I said, visited his office and staff for probably 10 years and had great conversations always and just had never had the opportunity to, to meet the senator. On a particular uh, fly-in, on my return flight home, lo and behold, who comes and sits down next to me uh, in the exit row is Senator Ron Wyden. Awesome. <laughs> and so uh, a little bit into the flight, he says, so what brought you to D.C.? And I said, well, funny that you should ask, Senator, but I actually was in your office yesterday meeting with and, and you know, named the staff member that I had met with. And I said, I'm a, a community pharmacy owner. He says, what pharmacy? And I said, Grants Pass Pharmacy in Grants Pass, Oregon. And he immediately said, do you still have the soda fountain? Because I love those Coke floats. And uh, so it immediately was, was you know, a conversation that uh, with a long, almost five-hour flight home, uh, we were able to, to share and talk about a lot of the issues that we were facing. Um, his staff had already often called to say, how will this impact how will this issue or this legislation impact you know your community pharmacy but it really changed in that that's an always he will always call and ask how will this impact you michelle and we've really built a friendship that you know when he's 
in town for a town hall or that type of thing, he will almost always stop by uh, the pharmacy. And his staff now, anytime he's in the state, will call and and ask, you know, do you have a, a another, you know, community pharmacy that you might recommend in this community? In fact, we've done two uh, in the last two two weeks uh, in different communities around. And I I find that really exciting because I think that to watch, I know how my staff gets excited. Anytime they feel like, you know, a legislator is here and observing what work they do and and hearing from them how much they appreciate the work that that they do. And to observe that just, you know, these last couple of weeks in these uh, pharmacies that had never had a visit before uh, was really, really inspiring. And to see the smiles and the excitement that when the picture was taken, um, knowing that they would you know, be able to take that home and, and share that with their families. Uh, I just find really exciting. That is exciting. I like the fact that you mentioned the staffers and how important it is to build true relationships. You know, I think you as a pharmacy owner and you think of your wholesale representative and how they have a relationship, not only with you, but with your head tech, with your te technician, with your person that's in charge of inventory. And if you don't create those multi-people relationships, if something happened to the senator and you had a wonderful relationship with him and he retired or you know he didn't want to be senator anymore, then what happens to your pharmacy's political ties to um, to moving forward to continue to educate um, you know the next legislator to have those strengths now? Obviously, they may re replace their, you know, staff, but there's a reputation that you now have, Michelle, with um, with your government, with your with people who are who are supposed to be representing you, and and more importantly, representing the patients that you serve that that rely on your pharmacy to to deliver, you know, probably the majority of their health care on on a on a cyclical basis. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, I. I can't stress that enough. Uh, you know, Oregon, being a smaller state, uh, from the standpoint of the number of independents, there are many years that I was the only pharmacist that traveled out for the fly-ins. And so uh, I would I would envy some of my colleagues that would have a, a group of 15 or 20 or 30 in some cases, uh, go, making the rounds to their legislators and on the hill and and it was just me uh going into some of these meetings but at times when i would hear that a particular congressman or senator did have the ability and time to be able to meet with us um, i would mention that to the ncpa staff and so i i want to really give a shout out to what ncpa staff provides for all of its members and that's if you realize if you get a call from you know a, a congressman or senator and they have some questions and you're not sure let them know hey you know what i'm really busy right this moment can i give you a call back shortly and i'll have those answers for you and feel free to give ncpa staff a call 
and express the, you know, the urgency, send them an email that I need this back as, as soon as possible. And they are so attentive and prompt at providing you with the talking points that, that are, are, you know, help you feel that you're addressing all the specific needs and that you're not leaving something out. You know, many times myself, don't always remember that house or Senate bill number. And so they can, again, help you with what those, you know, numbers are because the staff or the legislator themselves is going to want to know that if we're act asking them to co-sign onto something. I agree, Michelle. Something that has been very impressive is the consistency that the NCPA has provided for its members, for community pharmacy owners. And one of those um, consistency um points is to make sure that you have the right information in order to talk with your your legislators and and policymakers the um the 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 way that they put the patient in front of everything really um kind of pulls through of what a pharmacy owner truly wants we obviously have to make a business you're a pharmacy owner you have to stay in business but their um, newest form, which is the NCPA's legislative agenda, it says pro-patient, pro-pharmacist. And we're putting that patient first, knowing that that's what impacts our, our, our communities. That's strengthening our communities because you have a place to go for consistent community um, access to health care. So this list, um, there is three points that that we actually have a, a list, a, a checklist a link that I'm going to share throughout social media as well. It goes through providing uh, greater PBM enforcement authorities, and it kind of gives the specific specifics around the um, Pharmacy Benefit Manager Transparency Act of 2022. And then also prohibiting spread pricing in Medicaid managed care, that's HR 6101, the Drug Price Transparency and Medicaid Act. And then Medicare payment or enhanced pharmacist services, and that digs down into um, another layer of this, which once again, that in, those three in and itself could be overwhelming if you really didn't have the, you know, the verses in mind of what to talk with and, and kind of combining it with showing the services that you deliver to a, um, to a com your community, but then also where they pick up the baton and move forward is making sure that um, the right bills get passed for the right reasons. And it's their constituents. It's the health of their community too. So it really plays nicely. And so I like the way that the NCPA packaged this. I, I agree. And I think to your point of the patient is first, and I would, I would say in, Two instances um, with former Congressman Greg Walden, um, who passed a bill um, into law, the, the gag clause um, bill that was several years ago. It he continued to tell a story that he and I had discussed at a at a pharmacy visit. And and I've seen that with with Senator Wyden as well, that there are examples of times in interactions with patients that I'll share with him. And those are what really seem to resonate with them. They can go back, they can talk to their colleagues uh, in Congress, but they can also then use that as they are fighting 
for us for a particular issue because the reality is we're trying to stay in business for our patients. <laughs> yes. And we all have that exactly. unique common goal. And and so, you know, I know because I experience it every day and I know that all my colleagues do as well. Those interactions that we are hearing more and more often, unfortunately, about the patient being steered somewhere, the patient not being able to afford a copay, um, all of the things that we know are going on, those are the exact instances and stories that we need to share with our congressmen. Absolutely. Well, we are excited to have had you on the show. I want to invite you back to share other success stories of how you're engaging your local um, politicians and what that means, not only for your community, Michelle, but what this means for our nation, because we can repeat what you have done in the success that you've had in the coaching that you've given our other pharmacy owners who are listening to this interview today. So I want to thank you so much. And I, I can't wait to see, hopefully we get to see you at um, the, the October NCPA annual. Oh, absolutely. I am looking forward to it. Kansas City, I've not been before and, and just excited to be able to share that. And and uh, we are going to have a, a lot of fun. As, as NCPA says, you know, we work hard during the day at our conventions, but we like to have a lot of fun and dance at night. So I um, hope to see many of my colleagues from around the country there. Absolutely. Team up Kansas City 2022 the NCPA annual event. We will be there. I'm excited and thank you so much, pharmacy owners, for everything that you do for your community. And thank you to your technicians as well of how uh, important you are to community. And thank you so much to the NCPA for everything that you're doing. Thanks, Todd. Have really enjoyed our conversation this morning. Home care through community pharmacy. This is a huge opportunity for independent pharmacy owners and a champion of community pharmacy for years, as long as I can remember, from the technology perspective and adherence packaging has been the RxSafe team. Today's panel discussion is brought to you by RxSafe. I have the CEO and founder of RxSafe with me now, Bill Holmes. I am super excited about this interview upcoming because you and I both know that community pharmacy has to do more, they have to be more aggressive, and they have to understand that their communities are filled with people who need additional services in the home. So welcome, Bill. Todd, thank you for this opportunity, and it's our pleasure to again sponsor this uh, very important information that you are routinely passing along to the community. I applaud you for your efforts. Uh, today I'm super excited because this issue of how do pharmacies get out of the box, pun intended, of counting by fives and filling prescriptions and becoming a much more valued resource in the community. Today we have Debbie be talking about services that pharmacies can provide that are not necessarily uh, medically focused uh, on, on prescription medication that can easily be provided and charged for. We have Lisa, who I adore with her uh, Profit Summit. Uh, talking to you about how to market to these, uh, uh, to these ends uh, and a wealth of information. And Adam Robertson, uh, who we call the uh, medication adherence whisperer, jokingly. Uh, absolutely amazing, smart guy, tremendous resource if you're looking for help.
Uh, Adam's very generous with his time. And he'll be talking a little bit about medication here as packaging and the benefits of it. And uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to bring everyone's focus uh, to a little bit um, uh, of a sharp point here on what we're calling medical at home. And I'll quickly point to Gerimed as a great resource to learn more about this. But in, in essence, in a nutshell, what pharmacies can do is have dual licensure for what is called a combo shop. Uh, retail on the one end and long-term care focused on the other, not necessarily selling to or delivering to nursing homes or long-term care facilities, but rather providing a delivery service for medications that you're probably already selling to these existing patients who are homebound and be able to then put the um, uh, charges through and get reimbursed by uh, the same standards that long-term care is reimbursed. In other words, no DIR fees and higher reimbursements. Uh, it's a great opportunity for some pharmacies to break out of this uh, morass of low reimbursements and high DIR fees. Bill, thanks so much for setting the stage. We're looking forward to this interview. Uh, for more information and partnering with an organization who really understands the bigger picture, please go to arcsafe.com and ask any of their team members to get you in touch with one of their experts to get you involved. Bill, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Again, it's a pleasure to be involved. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, listen, this is an important topic that we've been talking about. This podcast has meant a lot to me because we're bringing together some of the, um, the innovators in, in transforming community pharmacy and how we all know that we need our legislation. We need our legislators. We need the bills that are being passed to put that patient forward and push that patient out front. And we know that community pharmacy speaks for their patients. And, and it's special when we get to interview pharmacy owners and leaders in our communities that have an amazing grip on what's happening in, um, in how bills and how laws are that are being passed are helping us to help our patients more. Because you know what you're going through, pharmacy owners, goodness gracious. Um, it's, it's tough to run and, and be a successful pharmacy owner, but it's happening anyway. And we're pushing through the challenges that we're all experiencing. I wanna introduce pharmacy owner, Mark Ost to the pharmacy podcast and to the NCPA's um, presentation on preparing for your legislator to get your your team ready, your, your whole pharmacy team ready for visits and then how to properly leverage those visits um, to really help you in your community and, and in your state and how this is going to affect the nation. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate, uh, appreciate having me on. Let's talk about you and your pharmacy. Tell our listeners um, how you got into pharmacy, how you became a pharmacy owner, where your pharmacy is and, and a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Mark Host. I am the co-owner of Eric's Rx Shop in Horsham, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Philadelphia. Um, Eric's Rx Shop was started about 13 years ago by my dad and Eric Abramowitz, who's my business partner and pharmacist in charge. Uh, I've grown up in pharmacy. My dad's owned multiple pharmacies my whole life and really just kind of been around it and ingrained it. I actually never wanted to work in pharmacy growing up <laughs> and graduated college and worked in sports for a few years and was looking at different business ventures and decided to work with my dad for a few years and learned a lot and um, you know, 
moved on to Eric's Rx shop and we've, uh, you know, it's a, it's a definition of a community pharmacy. I mean, we know our patients, um, we do everything we can to help our patients. And since COVID hit, we've been tried, you know, have done our best to be really be a resource for the community, whether it's with information, education, um, test vaccines, access to products that's hard to get. And, um, you know, to date we've done close to about 65,000 COVID vaccines and a lot of just other exciting things that are, that are happening in pharmacy. So what are the challenges right now that you've been able to communicate to your legislators to really have them understand context and the impact that it's having on their community, on their constituents, kind of open up to our listeners about how you started out, because this is, you know, this is daunting sometimes for pharmacy owners to think, how do I get my, the attention of my Congress uh, person? Um, how do I stage this correctly? Just start at the beginning. How, how did you get involved with your current legislator? And we have a special announcement, by the way, we'll, we'll keep this for a little later in the interview, <laughs> but um, I'm excited, Mark. So I'll definitely yeah. share with our listeners. Um, it, it was not something that was 100% planned in full disclosure. Um, so our political relationships really started during the craziness of COVID vaccines. Um, we were dealing with our State Department of Health, and we had we've probably given I don't know, a few hundred, maybe a thousand doses of Moderna. And the Department of Health said, you know, you gave your second doses as first doses. And we said, no, we, we have data that shows that we've given first doses and second doses. And, you know, we had the data to back it up and prove it. So in turn, we reached out to our state senator and our state representative, who both were gracious enough to spend, you know, hours on the phone with me, listening to the issues, and then eventually presenting those issues on our behalf to the department. And, you know, that really created the relationships because they were certainly helping us by advocating on behalf. But there was also a time where people were calling their office nonstop saying, hey, how do I get a COVID vaccine or what can I do? My grandma needs this. So we became a huge resource for them in that area. So it was really a you know very big bi-directional um, relationship that has flourished ever since. And um, you know, using those connections that we made with the political just led to other introductions to other politicians. And then talking about, you know, a, a lot of it in the beginning was really COVID vaccines, but then transitioning to here's some pharmacy issues that we're having. Here's patients that you know, work for this employer that want to come to a pharmacy, but can't because they're restricted. Here's a Medicare patient who comes to our pharmacy and has a copay of $100, but can go two minutes down the road to a chain pharmacy and either doesn't have a copay. So it, it's for us, it's really been about patients. It's been about the patient experience. It's been about access. And it's been about providing that best service. And what we've tried to really show the legislators that we've you know spoken with is we can't always provide the best service because there are so much restrictions on us from PBMs. You know what else is special is when I read about your dedication to Upper Dublin School District and really started cut to customize location um, for vaccine um, for people that you know might not know exactly where to go. And like you said, the, uh, your your state representative was getting calls and and you stood up and and you know, planted yourself at the, at the local school district. So tell our listeners a little bit about what you did. Yeah. So, um, when the phases finally, finally started to, to phase out and people became eligible, we, 
you know, created the, these relationships with different organizations and school districts. And we were approached by a few different school districts and asked if we could offer a vaccine clinic to their, their students. So it started out with the Pfizer with the 16 plus, um, and we probably did five or six school districts and, you know, fairly large events of five, 600, 700 at, at, you know, over a two, three hour span. Then it became 12 plus was released. And then we had more school, school districts reaching out. And then we had the five to 11 vaccine rollout when it was just, you know, a five week period of madness where every night we go do clinics with these thousand plus doses, wake up, pack up and, and do it all over again. And the, the, big, the biggest thing that we really tried to accomplish and, you know, and not just me, but Eric and our whole team here was to make it an experience, to make it easy, to make it easy for patients to register, to make it easy for the school district to be able to hold these clinics and provide as many vaccines as you can, but also, and most important, in a safe, in a safe and comfortable atmosphere. Um, you know, we had costumes for people. We had little trophies and little giveaways. We had um, probably gave away 25,000 dum-dum lollipops during it. So it, it, made, it made it really a great experience for the schools. Um, and, you know, and what's one of the big reasons why we've been invited back to a lot of these school districts is because of these clinics. By the way, what an experience to be in the center of a pandemic uh, and being looked at by your community as leaders to, um, to give them advice as to what to do and, and where to get additional services that they were suffering with. I mean, think about just just in general, without the pandemic, the questions that you get from the public, and now we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are still getting sick and not necessarily COVID. There were just normal human sicknesses that they experienced and in your team, you and Eric's, you know, stepped up and how exhausted your team was. And I read about you in Stat News and I was so proud of, of your community pharmacy and, and what you did um, for your community, regardless of, of the the pressure that you've been put under, the pressure that all of our pharmacists and community pharmacies have been put under. So Thank you. this is special. Thank you. You're very welcome. And now we have to have more community pharmacies reaching out to their legislators to, to really help them understand that this is a public health crisis, um, not to have additional services in place, especially for rural um, locations. Um, and the, the, the term pharmacy desert is very real. And the community pharmacies that are in place are sometimes the only health care that people have for miles away. So let's talk to the pharmacy owner right now. Pharmacy owner to pharmacy owner, talk to us about the steps that you would suggest a pharmacy owner take to prepare themselves for uh, reaching out to their congressperson as well as um, getting them in, to come in and, and visit with them. Yeah, so I mean, I, I can tell you off the bat, the first thing has been use your resources. Um, NCPA has been an awesome resource for us with providing information, providing contact information, um, providing, you know, one page handouts and, you know, everything that we needed in order to really educate ourselves on what they're doing, but educate the legislators too about what's going on. Um, the second thing I would tell you is collaborate. Um, one thing that really has blossomed in my opinion during COVID was a collaboration between community pharmacies locally, nationally. Um, and, you know, there's, it's such a great community of owners and pharmacists now where, you know, if you have a question, someone has an answer to it. So we're, we're also part of CPSN 
and in the PPCN network. And, you know, again, same thing. That's been a great resource of when there's a new service um, or, or a new product or something that we don't know how to do or want to learn more about, someone's probably already doing it. So we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We're able to, you know, really collaborate and do that. And, and even politically, you know, look, we're in Pennsylvania, other people have relationships with politicians. So whether it's our pharmacy or a friend's pharmacy, or it doesn't really matter, we should all have really the same MO and the same agenda of, of what we want to accomplish. And I think being able to talk to fellow pharmacy owners and involved in different organizations have given us insight of my issue may not be the same as an issue of someone in, in rural, rural area or someone in inner city, but they can all be accomplished together and brought up and advocated because you're, you know, you're advocating for independent pharmacy. You're not advocating just for Eric's RX shop. We're not meeting with a, you know, a Senator representative to talk about our specific issues. We're talking about, you know, pharmacy, ind independent pharmacy specific issues and just educating yourselves on what the issues are, you know, from ourselves and, you know, talking with others has been a you know, really eye-opening experience. And shout out to the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. That's your and I's association. Me over here in south, south of Pittsburgh, and you in Horsham. Um, we we rely on that organization, and um, you know, the, they. It's amazing. When I entered pharmacy two thousand four, I didn't realize the power of the NCPA. I didn't realize the power of our state associations. It, it, I was new, so I didn't really get it, but. When I attended the meetings and I saw the collective, I saw the gatherings, I saw mm -hmm. the more than the sharing you're sharing right now, Mark, with other pharmacy owners listening in and they know things, they know how to maybe write a letter or a follow-up or a request or, and the NCPA has done a great job in giving us a checklist and we're going to have links of that and links to that checklist in our, in our show notes. But Shout out to our organizations. If you're not involved with your state organization, if you're not a member of the NCPA, it's now it's the time where we drop that pedal because there's so much finally happening. I see more change right now, Mark, than I've ever seen in, yep. in legislative efforts. We got the attention of our politicians. We get to now tell them here is the true cost of not having the right pharmacy care in your community. It's going to cause our patients to relapse or not stay adherent or not being on the right medication or the right follow-up or the right consultancy. The cost of mail order, educating a, a politician about, listen, I understand that you have information that you're under the impression that a mail order saves money, but here's this, you know, here's this, the stats. And then you, you there's a one pager called the cost of mail order RX. It's a a PDF that NCPA put out. I'm going to have links in the show notes about that too. And it's so like, it's so spelled out so we can share data. So, we, so we're not just out here trying to just yout, shout and beat our chests and say, whoa, is community pharmacy, you know, you got to help save the, the small guy. No, it's you got to help your constituents and your communities Patients. thrive and stay healthy. And this is how community pharmacy has always done it. And, Absolutely. and now- the payment realms changed along the way and 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 now you're you're destabilizing communities based on the lack of healthcare access which is your fill in the blank mark community pharmacy goodness gracious so thank god that you get it um 
what is the shout out to pharmacy owners? What, what steps do they take? Because they got their employees, they got their workloads, they got, you know, they're, they're trying to lease a new building and expand their business. And so we have to slow down and we have to say, here, here are maybe three points of advice that we could come up with to kind of, to kind of give our, our pharmacy owners. Yeah. I mean, my first advice is reach out to your local state senator or your state representative um, in forget politically for a second, just from a business standpoint, we've done clinics with the, with, with them. We've done dispense tests to their patients. We've gone with them to long-term care. So, you know, if you can create that relationship from economic standpoint and business wise, you know, there can definitely be a push there. Um, the second point I would say is just stay informed, know what's going on um, and keep your patients engaged too. Cause you know, the, the biggest tool that pharmacists have more than any huge chain or PBM is we have patients, we have stories. We really have, uh, you know, we have them on their side because when a push comes to shove, patients want to come to an independent pharmacy. They want to go to a pharmacy where they know the staff, they know the owners, and they're not just some metric. They want to, you know, be able to be provided those services. And when patients are informed that, hey, you may not be able to get those services because a PBM may not allow you to, or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, they now become involved and they become engaged. Um, and then, you know, the third thing I would say is just, you know, kind of what we touched on before, get involved in local associations and other, you know, groups with other pharmacy owners and change. It's, it's not easy to change your business. Um, you know, like I said, my dad's been in pharmacy 38 plus years and starting to get him to change a little bit, getting away from, and he's taught me this is you have to adapt in pharmacy. It's you're not going to survive on just dispensing medication. You know, uh, you're, you're good. You, you can't, you can't pay your employees on a 15 cent dispensing fee, you know? So whatever you can do to change your business model, get into more clinical services and get into non-dispensing revenue and hope that at some point that we do get paid fairly for dispensing medication is a, you know, is, is a really big thing. Mark, last uh, co-owner of Eric's RX shop in Horsham, Pennsylvania. Very proud of you. Definitely. We want to support you. Thank you for being part of uh, this podcast and supporting the NCPA, believing in our associations and what they do. Shout out to the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. Can't wait to see everyone at the NCPA annual um, in October. I think it's the first through the fourth. Uh, Mark, are you are you yeah. going to that conference? I will be in Kansas City. Awesome. Excited about it. Team up. That's what the theme is, and that's what we're <laughs> doing. So thank you so much, Mark, for um, for being part of this um, for this episode. Yep, absolutely. This has been a special episode, and before we uh, wrap it up, I want to bring on someone who really understands because of the tracking of the success of initiatives throughout the country, different states who have been champions in helping um, to reach out to legislators in their, in their communities, in their states. The National Community Pharmacists Association has been leading this initiative, and we're so excited to bring on Carrie LaViolet. Carrie, uh, welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate you inviting me back. I'm always happy to 
um, spread the word through your channels. So thanks again. Absolutely. So we um, talked with several pharmacy owners and these stories have been so uplifting, so inspiring that we know what pharmacy owners are going through. They're, they're taxed, they're tired, they're burnout, they're trying to keep their staff, um, you know, educated and upbeat. And, and so we know that just that consistency, the slow drum of the voice of community pharmacy coming through specific communities throughout the nation is so important. And we know that they're educating their Congress people to understand here's what this bill will mean for people in our communities that we're caring for. And sometimes, you know very well, Carrie, that sometimes they're their only health care resource for miles away. So what do you what do you tell pharmacy owners in preparation in reaching out to their legislators as a coach, as someone that says, hey, here are some really successful ways and tips to to really build your reputation within your within your community for your legislators and your lawmakers? Yeah, sure. It's, um, you know, I think some people are sometimes intimidated, but they shouldn't be. Um, they're constituents of, of those members of Congress and state legislators as well. And nothing can really tell the story more than inviting them into your pharmacy and showing them firsthand, you know, with patient examples um, of how it affects the patients, uh, with examples of how it affects their small businesses, you know, things that they, you know, can see firsthand and see what they're they're dealing with. Um, you know, elected officials always like to go visit small businesses, um, especially in election year. This is an election year this year. Um, and we try and do everything we can to make it as easy as possible um, and do a lot of the lifting. Our staff can provide talking points, tips, et cetera. Um, so it, nothing can, you know, replace that in person in the pharmacy where they can see, you know, all the different things the pharmacies are doing. They're, they're giving vaccines, they're, you know, dealing with a patient's insurance. They're, you know, just to see that firsthand, um, is really, really powerful. And the more, um, pharmacy owners, we can get to do that, the better. Um, and it's not, not just federal legislators. I mean, our month of action has been focused on federal legislators, but it's, it's state legislators, it's, um, you know, city council members, it's governors, it's, you know, insurance commissioners, that's a more important role now too. Um, through some of the state initiatives that we've been successful on that they can see firsthand um, just what, you know, are the number one pain point for our members is pharmacy benefit managers. So to see firsthand um, how they're affecting their business um, you know, and you never know when that next state legislator is going to run for federal office the, you know, or the city council person, you know, that, it, you know, they kind of get their start somewhere. So it's great to get to them early and build a relationship early on. Absolutely. Yeah, we were in this podcast, we're talking with Michelle uh, Belcher and pharmacy owner, and she mentioned setting the stage early as possible. And sure enough, she experienced politicians and legislators who have who have moved positioning and positions and her reputation and sincerity um, kind of fell right into the next stage of their career. And that's important to keep that going. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. So we know the pandemic has wrecked havoc on our communities, obviously our nation, community pharmacy, um, 
geez, they stepped up. The the nation finally realized through media, through our um, our publications, that community pharmacy has been doing something that you and I are very well aware of, of what they do in their communities. But the public finally realized, holy cow, my community pharmacy does a lot more than what I realized. And uh, coming together for coaching from the NCPA uh, during the fly-ins, um, that they, everybody comes to Washington, D.C. to meet with legislators and network and come up with ideas. It was disrupted by the pandemic. It was disrupted by some of what the U.S. Capitol was doing to preserve security policies. However, it's coming back, and it's exciting to hear that in 2023 – um, we're going to have the Congressional Pharmacy Fly-In on April 26th and 27th in the uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, can you kind of highlight uh, what we are planning to do for um, the education of community pharmacies and then opening doors for them to, to meet up and to speak with, with our lawmakers? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we're very excited that, you know, this will be in person. I mean, the, in addition to the actual pharmacy visits in the pharmacies, um, it really gets their attention that um, to see that their constituents willing to spend the money to come to DC, meet with them and their staff. Um, it really does does go a long long way. Shows that the dedication and that how important this is to their to their business. So, like you said, it's April twenty sixth through twenty seventh um, of next year, and we try and keep it it short. We it, for all the reasons you just mentioned, Todd, of how stressed the system is and how, you know, a lot of our members are short staffed. You know, we try and make it as easy as possible for them to leave their pharmacy, um, and get back. So we try, you know, it's, it's fly in, you get briefed, um, and fly out. So it's really, you know, a day, um, where you fly in the night before and then brief, um, well, brief, everyone in the morning, the issues that they would be lobbying on. And then everyone, you know, blankets the Hill and meets with their members of the house and Senate. Um, and it's, it's, you know, we try, like I said, we try and keep it short because we know how much of a time um, commitment that is. Um, we end it with a congressional reception where we invite the members of Congress to, to, to come and um, socialize a little bit. And hopefully that will still be able to happen. I can't, I can't say for sure, but you know, you never know things change, but that's, that's typically how we try and run it. Um, so that's an opportunity for some members of Congress that, you know, had a committee hearing or something came up that they couldn't meet with their constituent and their staff did for them to come to the reception and, and talk to them. So there's two opportunities if, you know, we can't control the congressional schedule and hearings happen and things, votes happen. And, you know, that, that, that takes precedent. So, um, but again, I also would just emphasize how important it is to meet with staff. I know our month of action, we've had several congressional staffers um, go to pharmacy visits as well, in addition to the members of Congress. And it's very helpful. I mean, the members of Congress have, you know, you can only imagine just in the health space, how many issues there are to deal with. I mean, we're one, we're one part of that, but to keep up on all of that, it's so important. They rely on their staff so much um, to become experts on some of these issues. So I, I know some get discouraged sometimes if they have to meet with staff, but it's, it's, it's essential. Um, and it's just as important as, as meeting with the members sometimes. Carrie, I think of the top, the top three ideas, for example, that we could coach community pharmacies, um, community pharmacy owners as to what they kind of start out in sharing with their, um, their local um, congressperson and, and legislator. And I'm thinking, you know, 
for one, the, the mail order involvement with these big PBMs that end up controlling and commoditizing um, medication management, which it shouldn't be. And we understand why. We understand what can happen. But I think of the prescriptions that sit in the delivery trucks and get, you know, inundated with hundreds, uh, 200, 300. I mean, there, there's so many variants of how many patients just in small communities that are affected and the temperature of that truck in, in medication or um, not not having the follow-up, um, how many patients aren't engaging with their pharmacist because they think it's, hey, take the 90-day the supply and and now I move on and then they're non-inherent and no one's following up with them. And I think of the lack of home care and the lack of follow-up. And I think that if a, if a lawmaker in their area really understood the impact of the commoditization of pharmacy services to return to the value that a pharmacist presents to their community and a community pharmacy specifically, um, I think that really is going to open their mm -hmm. eyes to understanding this isn't just a bunch of 19,400 community pharmacy owners complaining. This is impacting the health of America and, and how if we could strengthen community pharmacy and doing what they're supposed to instead of getting a negative 72 cent reimbursement for a prescription that now it's a cost to them to do business instead of being able to pay their light bill and expand their services. You know, what what's those top three things that you could kind of coach our listeners on today of here's what we should be hitting them with in with regards to topics to get the that most impact of staging that meeting and staging that opportunity to to talk with our legislators yeah sure i mean you bring up the mail order example and that's that's it's a very good example and it leads into um you know what we find is effective is just explaining to members of Congress and their staff, how this works. A lot of, you know, they don't necessarily know, um, you know, some patients are still steered to, to mail order, right? And, you know, they just, hey, we're all for, if people choose that and wanna have that, you know, that's fine. Like, you know, people choose to get their medicines however they want, but to force, especially seniors into those mail order where the counseling is so important to make sure they're adherent etc. And just providing those examples. I mean, I would say to the listeners is don't assume at all that a member of Congress one knows what a PBM is to how this system works. I mean, you'd be surprised in meetings on the Hill where they don't even realize all the other middlemen in the middle of this, that it, you know, how a medication from the manufacturer, how it actually gets to the pharmacy. It, there's several pieces there, you know, the wholesalers, everything else. So just explaining that um, system and that how what the PBMs control so much of it, uh, you know, for our guys and how, you know, the price pressures on them as small business owners, that's the one thing they cannot control is the reimbursement that the PBMs are based essentially in charge of along with the plans. Um, they can control their labor costs. They can control, you know, other, other parts of their business, you know, they can buy better, they can, you know, but it's, the reimbursement piece, and people don't realize that at all. A lot of members of Congress just don't even realize the PBMs are very good at flying under the radar. You know, right now they're the they're the Fortune 15 companies in the United States that no one's ever heard of, unless you happen to look on the back of your insurance card. Yeah, 
and, and see Caremark on there or um, Express Scripts. But I think, you know, what really gets their attention also is the patient stories. And, you know, I think the steering of patients really has gotten a lot of attention and especially in the rural and under, underserved areas where we are the only lifeline for some people. And there's pharmacy deserts that have been created um, by the big chains pulling out of, of, of these smaller communities um, where it's just not as advantageous for them business-wise. So I think, you know, obviously the, and provide an example, like, you know, th these are, these are short meetings, you know, you'll probably have no more than a half hour. So do your homework, you know, look up patient examples. I mean, DIR fees are a huge problem. Um, you know, have an example of this is how I mentioned DIR fees I paid this year. And I could have hired another delivery driver, right. Or I could have hired another tech or whatever, um, invested more in the communities into charitable programs, but you know, there, it's just another, um, expense that, you know, they have to account for. And just the examples of the, the steering in the mail order, I mean, mail order, we, you know, we constantly get examples of the waste in that waste in that system where it's, it's so hard for seniors to shut it off. Sometimes they call and call and call, and it just keeps coming. And they, where do they bring it? They bring it to their local pharmacy, <laughs> um, you know, to dispose of in a, in a proper manner. But um, I would say, you know, keep it simple and just don't assume that they know how the system works. Some are very sophisticated, especially if they're on a committee of jurisdiction that deals with healthcare, they'll have a better understanding. But if that member of Congress sits on the agriculture committee, for example, they're not, they're not as well versed because it's just not their, the area, you know, concentration. Um, so I would say just don't assume and, you know, keep it simple try not to use a bunch of acronyms like WAC, MAC, AWP, like they're not going to understand that, that stuff, but just providing a patient example, I think is the best, one of the best ways to do it and show um, how a patient did get steered to mail order, you know, et cetera. Cause I do think there is an opportunity there, um, you know, just because of the momentum we've had from different wins that there is, you know, there may be an effort by Congress to 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 really look at them and the FTC as well is looking at them right now. So there might be opportunities based on that study they're doing to have some legislative priorities come out of that. It's just too early to tell right now in that space. But um, the fact that everyone's looking at them right now and, and like I said, when they're requesting meetings, nine times out of 10, they're going to say yes, because they all obviously all want to meet with small business owners in their communities. So just, you know, I would say to the listeners, don't be shy. I mean, they, you know, that nine times out of 10, they'll, they'll work it out or NCPA can help as well. So if there's ever, you know, we have a staff fully capable to, if they're having problems getting in touch with their member of Congress, we have, we have all the contact information and our staff can also follow up um, to ensure that a meeting gets secured, which I don't think we've ever had a problem getting one. <laughs> so um, it, when we need to, so. Thank you for outlining that. That really puts it into bite, you know, bite-sized steps so that you don't feel overwhelmed. You're like, wow, reaching out to my Congress person to, to schedule a, um, a tour, a meeting. Um, if you get their attention, now we know those top level concerns and you're simplifying those concerns because, wow, Carrie, I, I've been here in pharmacy land now for 18 plus years, and it's only been in the last five or six years that the um, the concept and, and the intricacies and the complexities of what PBMs really do 
and really following the 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 money getting you know soaked up in in the form of profit instead of patient care um you know it's it's clear as a bell now but it it took took a long time to get to that point so you're absolutely correct you can't expect our congress people that are working on hundreds of you know different issues and concerns with their constituents and communities to bring this to light and let them know, hey, I'm not asking you to solve the problem. I'm asking you to support community pharmacy in our communities, in our state, in our counties, so that we can do our jobs. Um, we're not even asking for anything extra other than just to just to get the, the, the crap out of our way that is, you know, preventing preventing us from serving our communities and taking care of patients and assuring that safety is our is our top which it is it's that's pharmacist's number one purpose in 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 their communities and in in business in hospitals and specialty it's the safety it's the it's the leverage of the intelligence of what pharmacists do as our medication managers and so Carrie thank you so much for um, prefacing this preparing us for April with regards to the congressional fly-in um, can't wait to see you at the NCPA 2022 as we team up and we um, all come together for the annual event. Um, I just want to thank you and the team, uh, Carrie, for, for investing in, in this podcast episode. Sure, Todd, and thanks again for having us and helping amplify. You know, we're all big part of the big pharmacy team and everywhere we can get more information out to, to equip pharmacy owners to advocate on behalf of the industry is is great. So thank you again for for having us.